Welcome back to the podcast of the Francis Asbury Society. This is episode 23. Today we're excited that Joy Griffin is back with us sharing a devotion about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit as seen in the book of Acts, specifically his purifying work and the power that he gives to those who believe. I really hope you enjoy this devotion. Thanks for stopping by. It's, it's a blessing um, to be here and to be back. I, I've been gone a lot and uh, and I'm going to be gone again. So it's not that I don't love y'all or want to be a part. I am praying from afar whenever I'm someplace. Um, but um, but this day worked for me. And um, I, I just want to share scripture that I know we all are familiar with. But, but it was so impactful. Uh, about holiness and me understanding what entire sanctification was when my little old preacher, Hearn, shared this with me because it was a practical example, a biblical example. Then, of course, when I was at Asbury Seminary, Al Coppage uh, picked up on that in, in a, I think it was a class called the Theology of Holiness, maybe, um, and and shared similar, but I had I had heard it before when my little preacher was trying to help me, and I actually used this all over the world. Just the last month, I was in uh, four different countries. And I, uh, when I was teaching on the Holy Spirit, I, I, I used this biblical example of the disciples because, probably because it helped me so much. And I think maybe just for folks that are believers, that they would, um, that they would kind of see the need of our carnal heart if they had not before. So um, this purely is kind of resource for all of us. It's not that I think that you don't already know this. But it reminds me daily, um, and I'm going to remind, I'll tell you that at the end, of uh, 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 questioning myself and my heart and searching it. Um, you know, uh, we, we know what happened in the book of Acts. The, the first chapter, Jesus said to the disciples to not depart, not leave there, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the promise being the Holy Spirit. And then in verse eight, we, we have this one memorized because of missions, if no other reason, but he says, and you'll receive power. Um, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that's important. All those different four areas are important, but, but the, the important part of the, the critical part, the primary part to begin with is receiving the power. So uh, my little pastor was trying to help me understand uh, what sanctification is and was at the time. And, and um, that two things happen when our hearts are really purified. Are cleansed and it's I, I, I call them in my brain I remember it with like two p's purification and power you know the anointing from on high that um, Jesus was talking about and then we know you know what happened in Acts uh, just after that that verse uh, they watched him ascend back to the father and they did wait they went back and waited and then chapter two begins with Pentecost the Holy Spirit coming but but when I was just searching so much for the Holy Spirit to understand that I needed more. I mean, I knew that I needed more because my Bible was different from what my life was, even though I was a Christian. My preacher came in one day, and again, you know the story. I was laying on the floor, couldn't move. This when I was paralyzed. But he faithfully, faithfully came day after day. He knew how hungry I was. And I admitted that. I just, I'm, I want you to prove it to me. So he came in with this novel idea to me and said, Joy, Look at the disciples before Pentecost and after Pentecost. Look at the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels. 
He said, they were very selfish men. <laughs> and I just remember I'm laying there. Of course, I can't move my hands to open the Bible. But I thought, no, because in Sunday school, um, when you're a little kid, you know, when they say, what is a disciple? The answer is simple as a follower of Jesus. And that's still a true answer. But you want to be a disciple. You know, we, we think, oh, wow, that must have been awesome to be with Jesus. But then he gave me several references. And he spouted them off. Now, first he said... There's evidence in the Bible, and of course, gave a bunch of references to of them being believers. They were obviously following Jesus, so it'd be what we would say a Christian. They were saved, we would say, um, but they lacked something in their life. And in different scriptures, John 17 says they were not of the world. Uh, John, another 17, they were kept by Christ and not lost. It says that in 17:12. Um, Luke 10 says their names are written in heaven. Uh, John 17, they belonged to God in Christ. Matthew 28, they were ordained and commissioned. Uh, Luke 24, they spent 10 days praising God and waiting in prayer. You know, that's when, remember, 24 or 49, I think it is, where Jesus said, um, Terry and Jerusalem be with power from on high. And then Luke then picks that up in the book of Acts. So, so those were just a few uh, proofs or evidences that they were believers, that they were following Jesus, like I was at the time, but but needing more, you know, in my life. So then when he said that, he said, look at the disciples before Pentecost in the Gospels. He said they were actually very selfish men. We would say carnal, uh, you know, and I do say that now because I understand what that means, but at the time I didn't. For example, he said Peter was always wanting his own way. When Matthew 16, when Jesus took the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and that's when he said, to gain your life, you've got to lose it. He, he, he began to explain to them about the cross, that he was going to the cross, but I don't think they could understand it. And then that's when P Peter just blurted out, that's not going to happen to you, Lord, you know, because he didn't have the mind of Jesus. He wasn't thinking the way that Jesus did. And he was sort of saying like, that's not the Messiah I had in mind. You know, <laughs> I'm planning on you coming in and having a, a, a king, a crown and a big kingdom politically. And um, uh, so he had a better idea. But um, that's when Jesus, you know, the response, there won't be time for me to explain the whole context. But that's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Not that Peter was the devil, but that he was thinking like the enemy. He was not thinking the, the thoughts of Jesus. Um, their dis, their, the disciples' faith was weak. They couldn't trust God for some things. Um, their faith wasn't complete. They couldn't cast out devils like Jesus did. They couldn't heal the sick. They, they were not even sensitive or thoughtful um, at all. When the crowds were trying to get to Jesus, he would push, they would push him away. When the little kids, probably snotty-nosed little, kid, little kids were trying to get there, the disciples said, he ain't got time for you. You're just a kid. But Jesus says, no, stick them on my lap. Um, come to me. They're always looking out for number one. And they're asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're looking out for themselves in the gospels. Um, and that's when Jesus said, unless you become like children, you know, that you won't enter the kingdom. We've got to humble ourselves. But Remember in, um, in Matthew 20, two of the disciples wanted to be first. One of them said, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, because again, I think they thought it was going to be a, a crown kind of kingdom. When you come into your kingdom, I want to stand on the right hand side. Like, I want to be the hot shot. I want to be the most important. Then the Bible says another one jumped in and said, oh, if he's on the right, oh, I want to stay on your left. I want to be there. We want to be the big dogs. I never saw this before until my little preacher showed it to me. But, but the next verse says, 
The other, that's, you've heard that preached, or I have, but the next verse talks about the other 10 got mad. They were angry because the other two jumped in first. They all were selfish, you know, wanting to be um, important in, in the world's eyes. Um, they had a spirit of grudging forgiveness. You know, they just got tired of it and said, Jesus, how long have we got to forgive? You know, this is just going on. And that's when Jesus said 70 times seven, which means on and on and forever and ever. Um, they, uh, uh, and Jesus was saying, forgive like the father does, you know, over and over again, how he forgives us. Um, the disciples were over impressed with money. A uh, couple of great examples is a rich young ruler. When he came, you know, and said, what do I need for eternal life? Jesus said, you know, sell everything, follow me. The Bible says he went away sad. And that's what I've heard preached, or that's what I remembered. But then he said, but look at what happens next. The disciples get mad and say, Jesus, are you nuts? That guy has a lot of money and we could use that money in the ministry. You know what we're trying to do. And when the woman took the alabaster box, it was very uh, expensive with the oil and broke it open, took her hair, anointed Jesus. The disciples said, Jesus, are you crazy? That, that, that would bring us so much money and we would be able to do more and more um, in the ministry. They just didn't, they didn't understand. They didn't get it yet. They said she wasted that perfume, you know, that, that, that shouldn't have been done. Um, there was lack of spiritual sensitivity. I've already said that, but then the disciples failed Jesus when he needs them the most. Um, remember when he takes them to the garden and then they fall asleep. They're looking out about their, for their own spiritual needs or their own, I'm sorry, physical needs. So they go to sleep when he's in his hour, you know, needing them in the garden of Gethsemane before they're about to uh, arrest him and, and then kill him the next day. And they denied him. You know, they said they wouldn't. You know, they all forsook him and fled. They tucked their tails and ran when the time came, when the pressure was on. And Peter had three chances to make it up and he still blew it. <laughs> he denied him over and over again. So, so my pastor was saying, Joy, look at this. I mean, that, that doesn't look very spiritual. And those were just areas I had just not seen before. I didn't, I didn't think about that before. Um, I just didn't. And I think a lot of people don't. But then he said, Joy, look at the proof or the evidences. Look at these same guys after Pentecost. When in Acts 2, it says their hearts were purified by faith because he'd been trying to explain to me what carnality was and what my heart looked like, the ego, the pride that was there, saying it's that that other people don't see, but you know about it. And that's what causes you to want to do the outward actions of sin, lying, cheating, stealing, the things that you ask Jesus to forgive you for, and he does. But, but those are sins, S-I-N-S. What we're dealing with now is the sin, S-I-N, carnality, the sin of your heart. So look at the same guys after Acts 2. Peter was willing to be redirected. He didn't have to be number one. James, another James, became the head of the church. There was not a lack of spiritual power. Uh, instead, transformation and healing took place. Right after Acts 2, in Acts 3, the beginning of Acts 3, is the story of the lame man. The Bible doesn't tell you in chapter 3, but over in chapter 4, it tells us how old he was. The Bible says he was more than 40 years old. And he had never taken a step. He was the, the lame guy that was sitting there outside the temple, the beggar, holding out his hand when Peter and John went up to the church or the temple to pray. And that's when they said, we don't have any money, silver or gold, but what we do have, we'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And because their hearts had been cleansed, it was not them wanting the credit. They really meant that in Jesus' name and in his power, rise and walk. That's when the man went walking and leaping and praising God and running all over the place, and everybody knew 
it was him. So miraculous things began to happen, not just it did happen there, but then all throughout the book, which is the actions of the apostles, we see healings and deliverances. And the Bible even says even their shadow could fall on people and they'd be healed. It's because their hearts were clean and they were radically different. Um, there was no evidence of grudging forgiveness in the book of Acts. When the Sanhedrin was mean to them, they were forgiving. When Stephen was being stoned and killed, you know, just absolutely murdered right there, not only Stephen, but the Bible says that they were forgiving. Um, they were not over impressed with money anymore. Beginning in Acts 2, they began to pool all their money together. And throughout the book of Acts, they were helping the, um, the, the whole community, the homeless, the widows, you know, helping other people. Uh, so money was not the issue. Um, there was not the same lack of spiritual uh, sensitivity. They actually saw that lame man. They were discerning and saw him and took time to meet his need as well as many others in the book of Acts. Um, they were not failing Jesus and running away and denying him. They were willing to stand even though it might mean their lives and they were bold. And in the end, of course, we know that it did. So, so my pastor is rattling off all of this and just says, after the resurrection, the disciples were still hiding behind closed doors. They were really afraid. But and discouraged. He said, but Joy, what made the difference? The answer is Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming. And, um, and they're waiting, as Jesus said, waiting and praying. And then he, when he, after he went back to, to heaven, he sent, um, you know, his spirit. And so then, of course, he started saying, look at the results in Acts, in the book of Acts. Uh, the lost were reached. Uh, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost were saved. Believers were added daily throughout the book of Acts. The number increased rapidly. The disciples scattered and preached in Judea and Samaria. That's in Acts 8. Um, Paul and Barnabas were sent as missionaries on the first journey. Um, the, the world was turned upside down. And the power that was given to them is the same power that's available to us. And um, I'm just saying to you, as a, as a Christian that had been a believer at that point for 12 years, but I was really searching, this really spoke to me. And it helped me to say, I get it. I see, I, I really see biblically the difference there. And, um, and again, it's been helpful for me in teaching in lots of other places too, and trying to share that with others. But, but then daily, um, there's, there's usually things that come up just almost every day. Um, that, that I think about these disciples before and after Pentecost, when I'm tempted about something, even just when I've been maybe mistreated. And I think, uh, well, you know, if I was in the gospels, I would have responded this way, but now I need to be like Papa Kinlaw says about the mind of Christ. I know that probably everybody on this call has heard him preach this sermon, or if not, you've heard it on a tape or a CD, or you've read it maybe in a book. But it will be difficult for me, you know, unless I have some kind of mental dementia stuff to ever forget the points. I don't remember the rest of the sermon, but I remember how it ministered to me about the mind of Jesus. We know he's even written a book. We've got that and we praise God for that. But out of Philippians 2, I remember his points were that Jesus, in having the mind of Jesus, when Peter, remember way back to Peter, Peter didn't have the mind of Christ. He's saying, no, that's not going to happen to you, Lord. He said, Jesus never asked what's in it for me, the selfishness there. What's gonna, what am I going to get out of it? Um, how will I look? Jesus never said that. And he never said, I deserve better than this. 
And I'm just reminded of that. And in my brain, it might not make sense to y'all, but in my brain, I think those questions when I look at the disciples before Pentecost and then after, uh, uh, am I looking out for number one? And whatever it is, if it's just about communicating with somebody or um, do I have a spirit of grudging forgiveness? I mean, yes, I've been gloriously sanctified and I praise God for that, but the devil wants to tempt in that all the time. So when we say search my heart or I say that to God, is there any little area there? Am I over impressed with money? Am I trying to be ambitious and care about somebody that's got money rather than somebody that has the widow's might? Now that's, that's an area that's not as much a temptation for me. It never has been. I'm always for the underdog, I think, but, but it could be for some of us, um, lacking spiritual power. If I don't see that, is there some little corner of my life that, that maybe is not, uh, completely surrendered again and again for God to fill me fresh and new? And um, am I willing to take that stand all the way through? Right now, it's not exactly this, you know, nothing like Jesus's life, but in the Methodist church, yesterday I preached to a couple of churches and yeah, it is taking a stand because I know there were spies there and and there are people that are trying to deny what's really happening. And and I had to tell the truth and say, no, they're lying. The, in our case, our bishop is flat out lying to you. <laughs> and I quote, I had all my little references and all my uh, proof uh, ready, but just had to finally say it when they point blank asked me. It's not it's not the same at all as the disciples with Jesus there then. But but am I willing to take that stand and and maybe take a chance on my reputation because it's out there, you know? So anyway, I don't know if that makes any sense to y'all at all, but it but it does for me. So I'm talking to myself today, but I hope that maybe even that little example of before and after Pentecost could maybe be a resource or just a reminder um, for us. So that's what I got, Mr. Vic. Thank you, Joy, and thank you for stopping by and giving us a listen. Uh, do pray for Joy as she does a lot of traveling all across the world, uh, teaching and raising up leaders uh, for Christ. It's a wonderful work. We do continue to hope and pray that these are an encouragement to you. As always, if you need more information about the Francis Asbury Society, check us out on our website, www.francisasburysociety.com, and let us know at any time if we can be of any help and encouragement. God bless.